This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to be joined by the voice of Old Trafford, Alan Keegan. Um, you'll recognise his voice, as I've said, from Manchester United, from FIFA football games as well. Also been doing a very successful Facebook live show over lockdown, which I've really enjoyed also. Just thank you so much for joining me, Alan. It means a lot. It's an absolute pleasure, Callum. Um, I've been looking and listening to some of your uh, podcasts and what you've been doing with everything, and you're doing a fantastic job. I, in particular, I enjoyed the Willie Morgan one. I mean, they've all been good, but obviously, being a, an ex-Manchester United legend, I thoroughly enjoyed your, uh, your your talk with Willie and your regular shows with him. So hopefully, that'll continue. And he's a great fella and a lovely man, and he's got a lot to talk about. So good luck with that one. No, thank you very much. And. As I mentioned in my intro there, you are the voice of, of, of Old Trafford. How did that come about for you? How did you get involved and become, as I say, the voice of, of the, such an iconic crown? Yeah, it's always an interesting story, this, Callum, because it's not like you see it advertised in the paper, you know, stadium announcer required at XY or the Theatre of Dreams. But um, I think it's pretty well known out there. But actually, um, before I worked as the announcer at Manchester United, I worked at Manchester City. Uh, for a number of years and it's a very long journey but um, obviously when I was younger I was trying to get into the industry or trying to get into the business and you have to take whatever opportunity comes along and the opportunity of, of getting to work at City and at Main Road it was fantastic for me but I, I hasten to add uh, I was a season ticket holder at Manchester United uh, I was very fortunate that I married a woman who, who enjoys football. So as part of our social calendar, Manchester United was always on the agenda. So I was always a Man United fan through my upbringing, my Irish upbringing. My father was Irish and big influence with Georgie Best and the Irish connection there. So anybody in that era, anybody who come over from Ireland as such, and Georgie Best was that Irish legend, they all tended to follow Manchester United. So um, the job of becoming the announcer sort of, Really, I was in the right place at the right time. I'd love to tell you, you know, a big, long story that, you know, I jumped through a million hoops. But I was also working at United behind the scenes on a match day in the corporate hospitality and you know, hosting one of the suites. So one week I was at Main Road as the announcer. And the next week I was at Old Trafford um, welcoming people into, it's called the Manchester Suite. There'd be like 300 fans in there and... The, the opportunity came about because my boss at the time was a lovely man, the commercial director called Danny McGregor. Um, he put my name forward because they were looking to replace my predecessor. And basically, um, United United rang me, the, the assistant club secretary at the time, Ken Ramsden, rang me and said, would I come in for a chat? We had a chat, we looked, talked about my role. And uh, basically, in August 2000, um, I became the stadium announcer at Old Trafford. My first game was Newcastle United. And uh, the first goals I announced were Andrew Cole and Ronnie Johnson. A day I'll never forget. Well, actually, my first game was Dennis Irwin's testimonial, which was the previous Wednesday. But 
my first Premier League game uh, was against Newcastle United. So it's been a great journey, Callum, 20 years as the voice of Old Trafford. And in that role, something that I'm interested to get your insight into is describe your typical match day because it's, it's definitely not just turning up saying your piece and then watching the game. I imagine there's a lot of preparation. And I, I went down to the to the Watford game, Ollie's first game in permanent charge. And as I was walking around the stadium, I remember seeing you a few times when I was just um, getting into my seat. This was early on and you were looked as if you were very busy. So what is a typical match day like for you? Yeah, it is very busy. And over those 20 years, it's definitely changed the role of the announcer, particularly at Manchester United, because it's a juggernaut. You know, you've got a lot of spot sponsor and partner activities and you know way before the gates open a lot of the partners have access to the side of the pitch where they'll have a photograph taken with a legend and there's all sorts of presentations that occur but the actual running order for the match is, is quite scheduled you know we, we, we do have a running order because the gates tend to open two hours before the kickoff and I tend to sort of get on the microphone about an hour before, once the teams are announced, that's generally my first uh, link, you know, within the, the, the bowl or the theatre of dreams, you know. So, but the work is all takes place through the week as well, because if there's anything that's important. So, for an example, even now during lockdown, we'll probably talk about that later, but even now, you know, I'll get an email off the club, you know, we're, we're going to do a read with regarding Black Lives Matter. That'll be put on the time and the schedule. Um, obviously the first game at Old Trafford after lockdown was against Sheffield United and the, the great man, um, the great player Tony Dunn had died a few days before so we had a, um, a moment of reflection and, uh, and about Tony Dunn so that was another read I had to do before the kick-off. So all this comes through prior to the game, you know, and on the day then uh, there's just a sort of, you know, final run-through with what we've got to do within that window and then obviously if there's a sponsored game you know it might be the Marriott Bonvoy wants to sponsor them well not want to but will sponsor that particular game you've got to get their script reading you know and then you've got to do some requests for fans and you've got to do the club and ticket information so there's quite a busy agenda um you know prior to that so from from a match day experience you know it is very busy but it's very very rewarding and obviously you know I've got the best job in the world Callum and as a United fan, when the club scored a goal, just especially when it's an important goal, just how much pride do you get when you get to announce the the scorer to the Stratford end? Well, yeah, because obviously, as you say, I'm a United fan. My two seats are still in the Stratford end, my wife and my son and family. You know, that, that's where our two seats are. We're just halfway up behind the goal. We've never let them go. So to be involved at the heartbeat of the club and you know, to be at that moment when a goal is scored and over the years, this brilliant, you know, important goals that I've had to announce. So, yeah, it's fantastic. And where I'm positioned um, on a normal match day, not at the moment because of lockdown, but I would be right in between the two dugouts, right in the centre. So I've, I've got the United dugout on my right as I look at the pitch and I've got the away dugout on my left. And, you know, it's a wonderful feeling, Callum, you know, you the goal goes in and then the fans are all cheering and I tend to let that settle down, let them have their time. And then I come and announce, you know, Old Trafford, United's goal scored by, you know, number 10, Marcus Rashford, you know, number nine, Anthony Martialis. It's an unbelievable feeling for the job that I'm doing, you know, because 
first and foremost, I'm a United fan, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to be professional without, without the emotion coming through too much. But sometimes it does slip a bit and uh, you do you do let your personal feelings um, get in between and obviously part of the announcement. Being at United, as you say, the voice of Old Trafford now for 20 years, just what has it been like getting close and personal with the players on the pitch for certain interviews? Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, interviewing him over the years as well. Just... Do you pinch yourself at that moment thinking back to when you were a kid watching United and when you're standing on the pitch with a man like Sir Alex thinking, wow, this is where I am? Yeah, exactly. You've described it perfect, perfectly because um, to Alex Ferguson, you know, it was so important to me at the beginning to gain his trust, you know, and uh, as everybody knows, he doesn't suffer fools. And, you know, it was getting that fine balance where, I had the relationship with him, but I didn't want to overstep the mark, you know. So I would say that it took me probably a couple of seasons to to win that trust. But once you win it and he knows that he can trust you, you know, he's, he's a friend for life. And I, and I believe that that journey, you know, became sort of, uh, if you like, very clear after a couple of seasons that I'd been at United. And in, in the latter part, of um, Sir Alex's managerial reign at Manchester United. I did quite a lot of work with him, as you say, you know, a lot of sponsor activities, a lot of partners have events, and I do like an audience with or a Q&A with. And I was very fortunate that uh, I did seven United summer tours, you know, so I was all over the world hosting events, and obviously the manager was involved in many of those. So it was an absolute honour, a thrill. It was humbling. Uh, to speak to him because everybody hangs on to his to his every word. You know, he walks in a room, he's got that aura and he just has a presence about him. But he's also a very, very funny man, you know. Um, when he's away from the sort of media spotlight or the, the post-match interviews, you know, he's so witty, he's so funny and he's got a very dry sense of humour and he's got a glint in his eye when you're doing a, an event with him, you know, and it's very intimate. Um the players are slightly different because on a match day, obviously it's business as, as usual and you've got to get on with the game. And, you know, I don't claim to be a friend of the players. It's very much a business relationship, you know, because they've got their job to do and I've got my job to do. And we're all trying to do it to the best of our ability. But I've been very fortunate, again, you know, outside of the football day, you know, over the 20 years, I've probably interacted and, and done an interview with, all the main players that United have had over those 20 years, you know, and I've, I've been involved in events, you know, you could, the list is endless, Roy Keane, David Beckham, you know, Ruben Nisselroy, you know, Ronaldo, it, it just get, it gets endless. The current players, Marcus Rashford, you know, Paul Pogba, very, very privileged and very honoured to be engaged in these activities with these fantastic footballers for Manchester United, you know, United is the greatest football club in the world. So for me as a fan, to be engaged and involved in that, it's a dream come true, Callum. One of the things I want to talk to you about is how the club have handled the lockdown situation. For me, supporting um, local causes, supporting the food bank. I've also seen on social media some of the packages they sent to employees. Does that just sum up the Manchester United way? I think it's been incredible um, and I think that's something that, you know, Manchester United as a football club should be very proud of. But we as the fans, 
and also me as somebody who works for the club, I'm immensely proud of it because, as you say, you know, um, the way that they handle themselves as a football club, you know, they, they straight away, you know, they, they paid all the staff, you know, they, they got it right. Um, there was no issues about that. There was no questions about that. And then through the Manchester United Foundation, uh, yes, delivering the food parcels, the campaigns have been immense. I mean, whoever thought of putting that NHS United on the sign, that's just absolutely incredible. And if, if nobody's seen that, then have a look on social media and Google it because they made the word NHS out of Manchester and then United. It's just brilliant. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it's incredible. Brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and then obviously, you know, I'm quite active with the foundation. You know, um, I had John Shields on my Facebook Live show and we were talking about the campaign campaigns of the foundation. And then obviously you've got Marcus Rashford, what he was doing as well and, you know, got the government to change the 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 sort of minds regarding school children getting free dinners over the six weeks summer holidays. So United have conducted, conducted themselves absolutely fantastic. And it makes you very proud to be part of that, Callum, because at the end of the day, you know, they're a, they're a global brand. They're, a, they're a, a global entity. You know, the name Manchester United, it, it's known all over the world. And to, to do what they've done during lockdown, uh, lockdown has been incredible. And in terms of yourself, going back to that aspect of being a fan, working for the club, it gives you immense pride. They can, can hear that when you speak, can hear that in your announcements at Old Trafford as well. Is that something that friends and family, is that the most common question you get? What's it like to work for Manchester United? Yeah, it is. You know, it, it's one of those that, you know, you're involved with everybody knows, you know, you, you go abroad, you're on holiday, whatever. Everybody knows about Manchester United and they're always, you know, they're on the top of the headlines. There's always a story with United. There's always something that somebody wants a piece of. And yeah, to be engaged and involved with them for as long as I have, you know, um, the 20 years, it's been incredible because, you know, I never thought it'd be 20 years, to be honest, when I first started. I probably thought we'd get two or three years of this, you know, I can die a happy man sort of thing, you know, and then just to, to develop it from, you know, three years to five years, then you start getting greedy. So, well, if I, if I hit the 10, you know, I'll get a watch and that. And then you hit 20 and it just grows and grows. And, you know, I've always tried to be loyal to United. I've always tried to, you know, give a 100% in everything I've done and in a professional manner. And I've always tried to represent the club in the correct manner as well. So, yeah, it, it, people do say, you know, what a great job, how lucky you are. You're very fortunate. And I am. I believe I am, and uh, as I said before, every every day, every game, before I walk to the end of the tunnel where the players are coming out, I always do a, I always turn around and look at the whole stadium, seventy-five thousand people. It's, it's going to be a little bit less actually in the future because of the facilities that have been just put in over the last season for uh, the disabled supporters. So because of that, the numbers will drop. I think it's going to be about seventy-three and a half thousand. Um, the, the facilities are incredible, by the way. But um, yeah, so for 73,500 people, it's an incredible feeling. You're saying, you know, Old Trafford, this is the theatre of dreams. Will you please welcome XYZ and Manchester United? It's just an incredible feeling. You know, it's brilliant. I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this one. What would you say if you had to pick three moments have been your, your favourite moments from your time in those 20 years? Um, well, there's been, as you say, it's very difficult. There's been some amazing moments. And uh, 
I suppose as the announcer, you, you, you see different levels of genius with footballers, you know, and, and you, you look at different elements of the, the wonderful players that Manchester United have found, you know, Ronaldo and his free kicks and, you know, his wizardry. But I think if it was to sort of highlight a few, um, Wayne, Rooney, Wayne Rooney's overhead kick against City, that was amazing, you know, where he sort of went to the, the, the corner flag and Nanny runs up to him. I mean, an amazing moment, both as fans and as Manchester United, um, as the announcer for Manchester United. Um, the other one would be probably involving Rooney again, where he flicked them all over for um, Robin Van Persie and he volleyed it. Um, that was an amazing goal. Uh, I think it was against Villa. Yep. That was incredible, you know, to be there that day and witness greatness, you know, and the, the, the perfect goal, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the Michael Owen last-minute goal against City, you know, these moments where Giggs threaded it through and Owen slided, slid it in and the celebrations were unbelievable, you know. But um, I think on a personal level, because of what it meant, um, I have mentioned this before, but I missed the 1999 Champions League final. I've been to a load of away games that year in Europe, but I missed the 99 final in the new Camp. And I always vowed, if United ever got to another Champions League final, I would go to it, rain, hail or shine. So, you might remember, but in the semi-final in 2008, we played Barcelona yep. and uh, we had a nil-nil and after 15 minutes, uh, Paul Scholes hit this rocket of a shot and it was just unbelievable. So, to be the announcer that night um, and the Scholes had to score it after 15 minutes, but the only problem was... It was the longest 75 minutes of my life because <laughs> that, that night Messi did everything but score. You know, he was dinking, he was twisting, he was turning. Barcelona had an amazing game but just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. And, uh, you know, the final whistle goals, and, and I can't believe it, you know, we're going to the Champions League final, we're in Russia, the Lenzinki Stadium, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go rain, hail or shine. And there's two little add-ons to this story because... Um, the next day, I get a call off United to say, we need to get your passport and sort out your travel details. Um, because, you know, and what I wasn't aware of is UEFA always invite the two announcers from each club. So they'd ask the announcer from Chelsea and, they'd, and they were asking me to attend the game. So I got to the Champions League final as the announcer for Manchester United, which was incredible, you know, travelled... Um, over to Moscow, unbelievable few days. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but just before the lockdown, I did an event in America with Paul Scholes and David May. We did a, an event for the Atlanta Supporters Club. And I was talking to Scholes about some of his best moments. And I just happened to drop in. I said, oh, Scholes, I said the 2008 semi-final against Barcelona. So when you scored that goal after 15 minutes, I said it was the longest 15, uh, the longest 75 minutes of my life. And Scholes had turned around and said, he said, the longest 75 minutes of your life. He said, imagine what it was like for me. He said, I was playing in the game. I scored the goal. And he said, it was the longest 75 minutes of my life. Because he said, don't forget, I missed 99. So I wanted to get there. So I, I'd forgotten that element of it. So, you know, brilliant, brilliant memories, Callum. And absolutely fantastic to be involved in the history of Manchester United. Being an announcer, um, like we're doing this interview now via um, communication and technology, 
sometimes there can be mishaps. Have you ever had the unfortunate situation of the microphone or something not working during your time in those 20 years? Um, I'll tell you what, what was a funny situation. I mean, I mean I've, had a, I've had quite a, a few little, shall we say, incidents uh, with <laughs> the announcements and different things. But one of the, one of the um, funniest ones, it might not come over as funny here, but um, you might remember that Ruben Nisseroy was on a run where he was going to score 10 consecutive goals. And um, his 10th goal was where he was taking a penalty at Old Trafford. Now, where I still stand at the dugout, there was a lot of the backroom staff. It's not like this now. But there used to be all sort of, you know, the extra staff, the masseurs, the, the, the kit men, different people. Then. And I don't know if you remember, he, he played for City, but he was the United training goalkeeper called Tony Colton. Big tall lad from yep. Birmingham and he was a real character TC. Well, whenever United had a penalty, I my microphone, and I have a folder that I do all the readings from. Um, but until the penalty was taken, I'd never pick up the microphone. It was just a little bit of a superstition that I had, you know, I wanted to see the ball go into the back of the net. So anyway, I used to have it I had my bag at the side and I'd have my, my folder and my microphone sat on the bike, you see. So there'd be about like 15 people around me, the backroom staff, and we're all hustling for our spot and everything. Anyway, Rude's about to take the penalty and um, obviously he scores it. And, you know, history in the making, the first player to score 10 consecutive goals in the Premier League. So, as I said before, I'm waiting for the crowd to celebrate and I let that die down. Anyway, I go to pick up the microphone and it's missing. There's no mic. Now, you can imagine that the fans are celebrating. This is one of the biggest historic moments in the Premier League. And I, I can't see, my mic's gone missing. I, I can't find it. Now, it might have only been 20 seconds, 30, but it felt like three hours because okay. I'm trying to find it. Anyway, I turn around and Tony's TC's got a big smile on his face and he put the microphone inside his jacket just while all the celebrations were going on. So... You know, there's been there's been fun moments <laughs> like that, you know, and uh, yeah, I've had a few interesting situations with announcements and different things. When um, Ronaldo won the uh, Ballon d'Or award, uh, we were presenting it to him on the pitch, and Sir Alex was going to give it him. On that particular night, Callum, I had a really bad dose of the flu, and I could hardly speak. I was in such a bad way. It was a midweek game, and. I was really croaky on the mic. I was trying to strain, you know. Anyway, it was unbelievable because I was reading the script for Cristiano Ronaldo winning this world award, you know, the, the Ballon d'Or award. And, and oh, the, it's actually, I think it, there's a clip of it on YouTube. It's hilarious because you've got like Ronaldo and Fergie looking at me as I'm doing the reading, you know, and oh, it was hilarious. So, yeah, there's been a few moments. Uh, it, 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 it's, been, it's been a journey. And another thing that must be very cool for younger relatives in your family, the fact that you're involved in the FIFA video games, how did that come about? And just what's it like to also be a voice of the FIFA video games? Yeah, that was very exciting because um, including this one now, I've done the last four FIFA games and it, 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 it is mind-blowing. You know, it's the biggest selling football game in the world. Um, EA Sports, you know, when, when they got in touch with me, it was quite interesting because... It was just, just an email where they contacted me and said, um, hi, Alan, you know, blah, blah, I'm, I'm uh, involved in the 
FIFA 17 game, 17, 18, yeah, so 17 game that's going to be released later on in the year. And um, we'd be interested, are you interested in sort of having a sort of audition as such for being the voice on FIFA, you know? And I, anyway, there was no real logos at the bottom of the email, you know, it was just a very plain email. So the, the, the guy that contacted me, I, I sort of, copied his name and pasted it into Google to see who it was, you know, but I wanted to make sure that the email wasn't a wind up. Anyway, <laughs> it lit up like he was the content creative producer for EA, for EA Sports in Canada. So I thought, well, I better take this guy serious. So I emailed back and said, yeah, I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to, you know, have a discussion with you and to be involved, you know, what's the next stage. Anyway, we, we had a discussion and we looked at different aspects of it and, Basically, Callum, I'm I'm the Premier League announcer. Uh, so they have another guy who's a friend of mine actually does the championship. Um, so we we agreed and we got the, you know they agreed to do the recordings in a studio in the north of England because they had a lot of contacts in London. Um, but I just I had contacts because I do a lot of voiceovers to do it in the north. So they did it in a studio that I do a lot of work in, um, and it was an incredible experience because. It literally is like the making of a feature film, you know, the, the whole concept. And FIFA 20 or whatever FIFA it is comes out normally at the end of September, which you're probably aware of. You know, by the time the window, the um, signings and the windows close in August, they then put the last bits of which players with which club, and then they get it out for the end of September for the Christmas market. So, but I'd recorded it the previous January. <laughs> so that's how far ahead they are. It's like a nine-month project. And I had to um, record every Premier League player squad. So if there's 24 players in a squad, you've got to do the whole list. And the first day, they're producing it. The, the guy who's producing it, Andrew, he's in Canada. And we're doing it through Skype, very much like this, you know. And he's like, you know, high tempo, low tempo, you know, and getting all the getting all the mixes in. So... I had to do every team twice and the whole squad to the 24 players. And also, you do the squad of every player in the championship because obviously they don't know which three teams are getting promoted. So you have to do the squads of all the players from in the championship as well. So it's an amazing project. It was fantastic to be involved. I had to do the names of every referee. You've got to do, you know, the attention to detail, you know. Yeah, I had to do the about 15 minutes worth of recordings for attendances. You have to do a name drop for every stadium. You know, welcome to Old Trafford. You know, welcome to the Etihad. You know, welcome to Anfield. It's all this attention to detail. So, an amazing project. So, I was four days in the studio recording everything. And uh, I'm so proud to be involved. And they gave me a credit at the end of the, um, of the titles, you know. So... It's a brilliant project and I'm very proud of it. It's something that, yeah, the younger members of my family, it gave me, it gave me a bit of street cred for a day or two. <laughs> something that a few other people listening to this might not know about you, Alan. You have mentioned the, the events, the live circuit. You're a host, you're a speaker. You've also been a lecturer in the past as well. Just how much do you enjoy those projects as well? Because they're different to, to the typical announcing at, at, at Old Trafford or on FIFA. Yeah, well, I thoroughly enjoyed my time um, working as a lecturer at the University of Central Lancashire. It's a fantastic university. 
um, in Preston in the north of England. And at the time when I was there, the, the Museum of Football was based at Preston, Preston North End. And I was lecturing in journalism and media because my background's radio and that was my route into it. And it was, it was a brilliant place to work, you know. It did get difficult trying to do university job and also the football job, you know, it was very hard. And in the summer, you know, you'd, I'd have to book my holidays around the football tour of United or in America or China. But the university, I have to say, were brilliant. They really understood it and they really supported what I was doing. So from that point of view, um, it was a great job and it was very satisfying, you know. But just prior to Christmas, prior to the lockdown, actually, I just, uh, I've just finished doing lecturing um, at the university. I took voluntary redundancy. I'd had 20 years at the university, but, you know, I've got other projects I want to be involved in and lots of other things. And I might even start a podcast, Callum. You never know. I might start getting involved in this field. So, you know, there's all different things out there. It, it's, it's, it's good. And it was the right time for Alan Keegan, you know, to move on. And yeah, as, a, as you mentioned there, I do a lot of events. I'm very proud, you know, like I mentioned there before, I was in Atlanta there before the lockdown in America doing a, a, a sports dinner for the Atlanta Supporters Club for United, you know, with Skulls and David May to, to 99. Well, obviously Skulls didn't win a medal, but he was involved in the squad from 99 and brilliant, brilliant opportunities for me. So, yeah, and I'm hoping to move on with that now, you know, and, and carry on in that and, and start doing a lot of guest speaking and public speaking, you know, because... I'm very fortunate with my role as a lecturer, but also with United. You know, I do a lot of talks where I'm on the circuit doing it on leadership and being involved from A to B to Z. And, you know, I take in a lot of my football experience and, you know, the, the lessons that I learned from Sir Alex and, and the journey that I've been on at United. So I combine in the education with the football. So, you know, there's a good 45 minutes there, Callum, where I can do a talk. And in terms of, you mentioned potentially going into the podcasts, which to be honest with you, having watched the Facebook live show, I, I really hope you do go into that because I really enjoyed those shows. How did the Facebook live show come about? Because it was very successful very quickly. And as, as I'm sure you are very well aware, lots of people want more. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it was, all, it was interesting because... Um, Obviously, I had, I had some friends and other colleagues who were doing Facebook Live and they were doing different ones. They were doing like very much music-based ones, you know, where some of them were entertainers, some of them were doing requests and playing songs. And when the, when the lockdown happened, it sort of, I sort of thought, well, how are we going to fill that gap with no football? You know, it's going to be very empty. And I'd had a look and obviously I mentioned before, my, radio, my background is radio. So I sort of put a structure together that, that would work sort of from a radio point of view, you know, and I wanted, when I did a one hour show, I wanted to have sort of what I would call three features, you know, where you've, you've got one at quarter past, half past and quarter to, I don't want to bore people, but there was a structure there that I'd had in the back of my mind. And when I looked at the format of what I wanted to do and I spoke with a few people, I thought, actually, I've probably got a good hour here of content, but it was content with no music. The first few had a little bit of music because I was finding my feet, you know, because I'd never done Facebook Live before. Yes, I'd done radio, so you were exposing yourself visually with, with no get out. So I had a little bit of music and it was very raw, to be fair, um, at the beginning. But as you say, it caught on and the United family and, you know, each week I had a United legend. You know, the first week I had Norman Whiteside. 
And then, you know, I've got the supporters clubs involved, which are brilliant, you know, right across the world from Malta to New Zealand to Ireland. And then, you know, one of the videos that got sent to me was by the Iraqi supporters club in, in the Manchester United Iraqi supporters club sent me a video where they were all in lockdown and they were all miming to the Manchester Glory Glory Man United and they edited it together and the response was brilliant, you know, and then I had different features with different guests. I had um, an impressionist, a comedian called Mike McGuire who could do Sir Alex Ferguson impressions, Wayne Rooney, uh, Morgan Freeman. So there was a nice feel to the show, you know, and, and the hour used to fly, but it, it used to take me all week to produce it, you know, the content and everything. And we started getting better with the technology because, you know, the first few weeks it was just me bringing someone off my mobile and putting a picture up of, say, Norman Whiteside on the screen while I talked to him. But then we started to get more advanced technology and I had good support from a friend of mine, Dave, who very got introduced me to different packages of facilities that offered the technology and we were able to get up uh, side by side. Then me and the person I was interviewed, like I mentioned, Willie Morgan before, you know, he was one of the, the best ones that we did. And my last show, uh, we, we spoke with um, the ex-professional footballer, Dean Windass. And uh, Dean Windass, you know, it's been well noted that he had a lot of, um, uh, you know, issues, trying to commit suicide after football, you know, lots of problems with drink, etc., etc. And now he's very much engaged with, you know, looking at charity work. He's set up where he's doing a big charity walk next year. Uh, sorry, charity climb. Kilimanjaro, he set up a thing with other footballers, Mark Crosley and a few other lads that he knows called Watch and it's, it's Walk and Talk. Um, walk and Talk, Talking um, Hikes or, you know, there's the, 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 the Watch is an anagram of that. So, you know, it, it, it's very good, but the show was great, you know, and yet it was very popular. And what, what I found interesting, and this is probably the same with yours, there was thousands of people looking at it after because of the, the different time zones with football yep. fans. You know, it's not like the live version of it or, you know, even later on that night, but the, the seven days between the Wednesday to the Wednesday, people from all over the globe are watching the show. So that was very rewarding and very satisfying to know. And then I did a thing with photographs where each week we put photographs of fans and I try and have a theme, you know, or if the guest was Willie Morgan or Norman Whiteside, I'd say to them, you could load it up on an app on your phone and it was dead easy to do. And then after the show every week, I'd put up, you know, 150, 200 photographs of different United fans and they could look at it on the Facebook. So it was always trying to, we're always trying to challenge it and make it interesting and, and engaging, which is the most important thing. Definitely. And I'm very conscious of your time, Alan, and thank you for being so generous with it. The last question I've got for you, Announcing at United, doing your own shows, announcer on FIFA, being a lecturer for so long, plenty of speaking engagements to come in the future as well. What advice would you give to anyone looking to get involved in, whether it's football media, whether it's announcements, maybe volunteering for a local club? What, what advice would you give them? I think, I think you've covered some of it there with regards anybody who's looking to get into the industry. First and foremost, you've got to find something that you love. You know, because you're working a long time and there's a saying I've always said that if you find a job you love, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, it's a cliche line, but that's so important because if you, if you go into a job and you don't like it, then, you know, it's very, very difficult. So 
one of the things I would say to anybody, any young person looking to get in the industry is, you know, try a few things, but knock on a few doors. You know, you're going to get a lot of rejections. You know, that's the nature of the, the industry, the nature of the business. And, and it doesn't mean you're not going to be any good or that they think you're not good. It's a, some of it, it's a lot about timing and your timing has to drop in with their timing. So, yeah, you know, if you want to be in journalism, you want to be in media, you want to be the announcer, you know, go to your local football club, your non-league club, and ask them, but, but you have to be dedicated. You have to go. Um, I mean, when I worked at Man City in the very early days, I, did, I, I hosted their junior blues once a month during the season, nine meetings a month. I did it for nothing. Well, actually, I did it for a, a pair of season tickets for City, and I wasn't a, a ticket. I wasn't a fan, but it meant I had my ticket for the derby. You know, so there was a bonus from it. You know, all right, I had to sit in with the City fans, but I got to see the game. So you know, there's things like that. You've got to, you've got to find your feet, knock on the doors, do some work experience because that'll tell you whether it's for you or not. Because that'll give you an indicator. Can I see myself doing this for? two years, three years, 20 years, you know, because there's a commitment. And, and what people want, they want reliability. You know, you don't always have to be the best, but they want reliability because if you're reliable, then it counts for everything. If you're the best, but you're unreliable, it's no good. So, you know, knock on doors, do some networking, look for the opportunity because the opportunities are always there, but you don't always see them as a young person. You know, like for an example, you know, I often say, or I did say to my students, if they were a Liverpool fan, I'd say, oh, would you work at Everton if you got the opportunity? Oh, no, I'd never work at Everton, you know, couldn't do that. You've got to look beyond that, you know, because at the end of the day, you're looking to get in the industry. So look for the opportunities and, and network, you know, that is the thing, you know, people, ask people, you know, it's like you asking me to do this, you know, um, if you don't ask, you don't get, and what are they going to say? No, or, you know, if they say no, just say, well, do you mind if I contact you again in six months' time? You know, once they reply to you, the door's open, you know, you've got, you've got um, a contact that you can keep communication open with. So that's what I would say. It's about being, being reliable, knocking on the door, networking, and seeing the opportunity. Brilliant. Alan, thanks for your time. I wish you personally all the best for the future and knowing that you're a big United fan, of course, as well, I wish the club all the best for the future and I hope that you mentioned the, the trip to Moscow there. I hope in the next few years you get another incredible trip for a Champions League final as well. I do. We'll take the Premier League first, Callum. Thank you very much indeed and good luck. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song